at Common Ground Christian Church. And Pastor Ken and Pastor Eric both have had some health issues in their families. So we are taking a break from our study of James, and you have me today. For <laughs> um, at this time, we would like for all of our kids from kindergarten through fifth grade to be dismissed to go to their classes. Your teachers will meet you out in the lobby. I'm, I'm going to be talking today about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's on healing the wounds of the heart, healing trauma. I'd like to first share with you a little background on an organization that I'm affiliated with that does trauma healing and where I got some training. This is through the Trauma Healing Institute, which is an arm of the American Bible Society. Um, we have all experienced trauma, and trauma has existed in this world since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Soon after Adam and Eve left the garden and they had those boys, Cain and Abel, we had a murder, and that, I'm sure, was trauma. We've had wars and famines, genocides, and oppression of all types. And today, we are seeing and witnessing and experiencing all levels of trauma. Our political landscape is traumatic right now. We have racism still in our country. We have oppression, violence, addictions, dysfunctional marriages and families, gender issues, natural disasters, climate change, and we could go on and on and on with problems that we are facing that can induce trauma. In the 1990s, staff from SIL and Wycliffe Bible Translators were living and working in Africa and saw people suffering from war. I just briefly, if you're not familiar with SIL, that is a faith-based Nonprofit that works with local communities around the world to develop language solutions, Bible translation, literary education, development, and linguistic research. So these two groups got together, and they found a book called Healing the Wounds of Ethnic Conflict, The Role of the Church in Healing, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation by a woman named... Rhiannon Lloyd. With her permission, they wrote a book for local church leaders, and their goals were that it was easy to teach, easy to translate, and easy for church leaders to teach others. In 2001, they met to write lessons, and um, included in this group were mental health professionals, Bible translators, scripture engagement consultants, and African church leaders who had experienced war. So this was very much revolving around the culture of Africa, those countries in Africa. 
they tested these lessons in war zones, and they were published in 2004. In 2010, the American Bible Society became interested in trauma healing and became the agents for the authors. And in 2011, 42 countries on five continents were using their material for trauma healing. In 2012, they developed the first community of practice, which brought together different organizations that were involved in trauma healing. And they developed a program for uh, teaching facilitators from all over the world to continue this work. And in the last couple of years, the Skidmores and I took training from the Trauma Healing Institute. And I want to emphasize that we are facilitators. We are not therapists. I am a, a retired RN, so I've worked in the healthcare field my whole professional life. And I witnessed a lot of trauma in the patients that I took care of. So there was some secondary trauma there. But I am not a trained mental health counselor. I just want to make that real clear. And neither are the Skidmores. But what we can do is lead small groups in a group support situation for trauma healing. And in our groups, we have discussion and activities in a safe environment. And our group members are free to participate as much or as little as they feel comfortable. No one is forced to, you know, spill their guts. They're, whatever you're, you feel safe in doing, you can do. We had one group last fall, and we are hoping to have another group this fall targeting our healthcare professionals who have dealt with the COVID pandemic. Many of them ha are, have experienced secondary trauma from this and have not had the opportunity to really take time to debrief uh, with people who understand what they're going through. So this is our next goal. We are looking for more people to be trained as facilitators if this is something that is of interest to you so that we can offer more groups to people. And today, I am doing just a mini lesson for you on how we can heal the wounds of the heart. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost hope. And I think all of us can either know that we ourselves have been brokenhearted or we know someone who has been brokenhearted. And I just want to reassure you that God is near you even if you don't feel him right now. Our first, our first slide is called the Trauma Healing Arc. And I want to show this to you to give you an overview of what this is. And if you'll take a look, it starts over from the left, from whatever caused the suffering. The next step is being heard. Um, then, I'm going to look this way because I have some vision issues, so I can see this a little better. Grieving. Lamenting, bringing pain to the cross, forgiving, rebuilding, and resilience. 
Now, this is not a linear process. We can go through different phases at different times, and sometimes there can be a trigger that will push us back into an area that we thought we had already dealt with. This is very common. Now, just what is a heart wound? One definition is that we can be wounded when we are overwhelmed with intense fear, helplessness, or horror. And this is referred to as trauma. Slide two, please. Psalm 109.22 says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Another translation uses afflicted in place of poor. This can happen in the face of death, serious injury or catastrophic illness, violence, oppression, or when we hear of someone else's bad experience, especially if it's family members or a close friend. The next slide, please. Now we have what we call the trauma grief cycle. And I want to point out that all trauma or heart wound is grief, but not all grief is trauma. And I just want to give a couple personal examples here. When the spring year of my, the spring of my sophomore year in high school, um, I had already turned 16, and on a beautiful day right before Easter, um, on a Saturday, when the downtown was very busy of our town in Richmond, Indianapolis, or Richmond Indiana, um, a shop that had gunpowder had a gas leak in the basement, and the shop blew up and devastated the whole downtown area. It looked like a bomb had gone off. I was at home at the time. But my mother and my little baby sister, who was six, were downtown shopping. And my neighbor, our neighbor ran out of the house, and I didn't hear the explosion. I don't know if I was reading or zoned out or whatever as a teenager, but I didn't hear the explosion. And my, the, my neighbor ran out and said, did you hear that? She said, Johnny went to the library. Johnny was my age, was my neighbor. We had grown up together and had fought and played together as neighbors and um, gone to school together. He, in second grade, he was the first boy I kissed. <laughs> in second grade. <laughs> um, so we, we were really, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, but we, we, were, we were very good friends. We went through a stage of being mad at each other, but we kind of got over that. Um, well, Jean ran, his mom, Jean, ran downtown to try to find him. And, came, and while she was gone, a police car drove up front and no asked if the parents of our neighbors were home. And I said, no, they had gone downtown. Well, of course, they didn't tell me what was going on, but I found out later that Johnny and another boy on our block who were together had, were white in front of the shop when it blew up. And about almost 40 people were killed in the downtown area. 
And of course, that was a major trauma. And I have realized in doing this trauma work that one of the things I have done, my 16-year-old self put that in a little box and tucked it away in order for me to finish high school and do my goals of becoming a nurse and all these other things. So I realized that I still have not dealt fully with that incident. And then another example is my dad of 95 years, who was a wonderful Christian man, gave us a very stable home, died in May. And while we were very sad and grieved heavily at his death, we knew it was coming, and it was not traumatic. We know he is with the Lord, and his life is much better than what it was here on earth. So we do have that grief, and even with my brother last night, we were talking about some things, and we, you know, teared up, but it's not the same. So you can grieve without trauma, but if you have trauma, you do have grief. Okay, the next slide, please. What we're going to compare is there's a, we can compare and contrast physical wounds and heart wounds. And of course, people who are in healthcare kind of groove on this kind of stuff. But just quickly, we won't go into depth with this, but with, with most physical wounds, they're visible, but heart wounds are invisible. And, but they do show up in the person's behavior. Physical wounds are painful and must be treated with care, and that is the same with a heart wound. If, it's, if, it's, if the physical wound is ignored, it gets worse, and, and that is the same with a heart wound. A physical wound needs to be cleansed, and in a heart wound, the pain needs to be expressed, if, and if there is sin involved, that must be confessed. If there's an infection Inside, it causes sickness. And if people pretend that their emotional wounds are healed and they're not, it leads to greater problems. Only God can bring healing, but he often uses people in medicine to do so. And that is the same. Physical wounds, if they're left open, will attract flies. And that is the same. Trauma wounds will attract bad things. It takes time to heal, and we need to be patient. Physical wounds may lead a scar. And with people, they can be healed, but they will never be the same. And there still can be emotional scars with our heart wounds. So how can we help people heal from wounds of the heart. The next slide, please. One of the things we need to realize is how trauma affects the brain. They've, they've done some MRIs and testing, and they've seen that things are get rewired in the brain with trauma. And we're dealing with this specifically with um, scripture. But in a healthy when someone's healthy, you can engage in scripture and apply it to your lives and it all makes sense. But if you're dealing with trauma, you, that might be the last thing you want to hear or deal with. You may not want somebody giving you a pat platitude on, well, God is with you and God cares for you and all that 
type of thing. So you need to be aware when you're trying to comfort someone about holding up your Bible and pounding it and telling them that everything's just going to be all right. So be aware of that. Um, Okay, the next slide, please. So... um, People with pain, I want to go back to something. Um, one, people, one way people can get out of their pain is by talking about it. And we often need to talk to another person before we can talk to God, even. We might have a block where we feel like we can't even pray. That's where the community can gather around and pray for the people who aren't able to pray for themselves. People may need to tell their stories many times. And as they talk about their bad experiences, after a while, their reactions may become less and less intense. I've been listening over the last year or so to um, Andy Cosper's podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which is all about spiritual trauma and toxic church relationships. In this last podcast that I listened to, Mike had a guest on. Her name is Andy Kolber. She is a therapist, and she was talking about spiritual trauma. She referred to a book by a person named Besser van der Kolk. He wrote, The Body Keeps Score. And we can numb our perception to the realities that we have faced if we don't know how to make sense of them. And all these things then can come out of our in different physical um, and, and out physical symptoms and then anger or emotional outbursts that seem to come out of nowhere. We need to slow down this healing process to give people time. God sometimes works slowly, and we need to give him time to work and give the people time to heal. We take a slower, more deliberate approach, and our six sessions of a trauma healing is not going to just automatically make you better. It's going to give you tools for helping you in this process in a group that you feel safe with, that you can talk to. One of the things that Andy said in this podcast, which I think is something to really keep in mind, is that what is not repaired is repeated. So if you've come from a dysfunctional family and you have said, well, my family's not going to be that way, If you haven't dealt with the issues that you experienced in that family, you are bound to repeat those same experiences to your own children, even if you don't intend to. It has to be repaired. As a helper for people who are in trauma, we want to be good listeners, and we want to show that we care about them. We keep information confidential. Roman, or Proverbs 11.13 says, 
a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And everything that we say in these groups doesn't go any further. We try not to criticize or give quick solutions. Proverbs 18, 13, our next slide says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Sometimes as someone's talking, we're running ahead trying to think what we're going to say to them, and we blurt out some answer that may not be the answer that we that they need to hear. We need to slow down with our listening as well and rely on the Holy Spirit to give us direction in how to respond to that hurting person. Proverbs 20, verse 5, our next slide, says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. We do not want to minimize their pain. I know I've been guilty of that if I've heard someone struggling. And then I think of an example that I think is similar and I share it. Well, sometimes that diminishes what they are going through. And we need to, as we're trying to be sympathetic and empathetic, not project our own issues on to that person. So how can we listen well? Well, we let the person speak at their own pace. Give them time. They may need to pause and process what they're thinking and feeling. And we have good questions that we can ask to help draw them out. And our next slide lists those questions. You can just say, they're very simple. Well, what happened? Tell me what happened. And then, how did you feel about that? Healing takes place at the level of emotions, and naming the emotions puts boundaries on vague feelings. Sometimes your feelings are just running around in there, and you haven't been able to really crystallize what you're thinking or feeling. And then, what was the hardest part for you? Each person is different. They might experience the same trauma, but have a totally different reaction to it and we need to know the answer to this from them again not our assumption that we know what was the hardest part we show that we are listening and this 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 one thing I'm going to say depends on if it's culturally appropriate um, in our culture to show we are listening is we look somebody in the eye but there are some cultures where that shows disrespect, especially if the, list, the person is younger than someone. So be aware of the, what culture you're working in as you're doing this. You can offer words of acknowledgement and, and encouragement at, to show that you're still engaged and listening, like, well, tell me more, go on, or mm-hmm, that type of thing. Don't have your phone out. Put your phone away, put it on silence so that you're not interrupted, and be patient, and then rephrase what they said from time to time to give them a chance to correct you if you're wrong in how you're interpreting what they're saying, and also to um, have them affirm or correct you. 
If they do get upset, give them time to regroup, take a break, or get calm inside. For very serious cases, I know Anthony works with um, homeless youth who have a very high trauma score, and these kids need professional help. We can be a support, but we cannot give them the kind of support they need. And there are mental health experts who specialize in severe cases of trauma. There are other ways of expressing pain besides talking, which might be a more of a comfort level for someone. You can use art, journaling, writing a poem. Some people like to dance and make a dance to some music. So there's many ways of being able to just deal personally with the pain that you're experiencing. There are also breathing exercises um, that can help overcome trauma or strong feelings when, when they happen to help you take kind of control and relax. And... Um, you're familiar with that. I'm not going to take the time to go into that, you know, taking a deep breath and then slowly releasing it, thinking of a pleasant place that you like to be. In another thing you can do is, if you're comfortable with this, is imagining Jesus sitting right next to you and just listening to you and being there with you. Now, I'll share, I'm guilty of poor trauma um, or less effective trauma coping mechanisms. This week, I was reading several newsletters that I get about current events and things, and I just thought, it just things just keep getting worse. And um, so my coping mechanism this week was to watch hours of YouTube videos on how to pack um, a carry-on suitcase for a two-week vacation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just wanted to avoid, and so that you know, that's what I did. That wasn't the healthiest way of dealing with it, but but we are all guilty of that, and I just want to say we all do it. Um, Pastor Eric, in his first sermon on James, used uh, the, one of the scripture verses was James 1.12. And that says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. There is hope for trauma healing, and I believe that's the importance of community. We can come around people who have been traumatized and love them, care for them, and listen. You can't do this alone. You need other people to help you get through this. Whatever your trials might be, God sees, knows, and has compassion for you. He wants to come along beside you and walk with you in this difficult journey. Hallelujah. 
if you would like to be a part of a healing group or if you are interested in facilitator training, see me after church or you can email me at elders at cgnortheast.org and that will come in my inbox. I'd like to just say a word of prayer and conclusion and pray for all of us. I can't imagine that there's not a person sitting here today who hasn't had some form of trauma, and I would just like to ask God's blessing and healing on this group. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus experienced trauma. He knew what it was to be abandoned by his friends, to be betrayed by his friends. He knew what it was to take all of our sin on him and be separated from you for a while. We are so grateful that we have Jesus, our high priest, our sacrificial lamb, and our intercessor who sees and knows our pain. We pray, Father, that you will teach us through your Holy Spirit, how we can walk this journey ourselves and with others to become whole in you and to be able to share the comfort that we have received with other people who are struggling. In your son's name we pray, amen.